back. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to go there in just a minute. But before we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to get a couple, maybe a small percent, well, okay, maybe a larger than small percentage of you people. I want to get you a little mad at me. So I'm going to say something that's going to make some of you kind of angry at me, but it's only going to be for about five minutes. Because you give me five minutes, and I think in five minutes you're going to start liking me again. So let let me share something with you. Look on the screen. This this quote coming up here was uh, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Have you ever heard this quote before? Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. This is perhaps um, one of the most best-known quotes from Franny. Uh, Francis, um, uh, we don't know exactly if it was him or not, but most people would say this is his. And, and I, love, I love, in a sense, I love the heart of it. But the challenge is this. Is it biblical? Anytime you go to share a quote on social media, can I just encourage it? Before you share that thing, just ask yourself. It sounds good, but is it Biblical. Does it really line up with what I believe, what the Bible teaches? Because when you look at the gospel account, when you look at the scriptural account, you see that when when they were sharing the gospel, it involved proclaiming. It involved saying. And and if I could go back and have a conversation, if in fact it was St. Francis of Assisi that said this, I would say, could you change that quote a little bit? Because I think we could make it a truth if we said something more like, preach the gospel at all times, including action and words. It's not either or, it's both and. So Scott, why are you picking on one of my favorite quotes? I have the t-shirt, now I have to throw that away. I have to go back, all my quotes that I've shared, and I have to, I have to delete this one. And um, not, uh, just, just hear me out. It's, it's because the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, and what is the gospel? Well, here it is. The gospel is good news. The good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And so as we look at what is, what is our outreach plan here at Pathway, when we look at our missions plan, our missions and outreach plan, our evangelism plan here at Pathway, it's built around Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, and I, it's not going to be on the screen, so just listen. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're saved. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive that power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you shall be my, what's the word? You shall be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of the gospel. To where? Jerusalem. To right here in our own little area, our own little Jerusalem Judea and Samaria, so the regions beyond, I would say, that our nation and even on this continent, and to the ends of the earth, all around the world. Let me just remind you, we take it just as seriously that we're to reach our Jerusalem as we take it that we're to reach the ends of the earth. That's why we spend a whole month just talking about this. Are our hearts tenderized? Are our hearts following the directive of the Lord to take the gospel message? Oh, hear me. If someone's naked, we're going to give them clothes. Amen? Is that a good idea? If someone's hungry, what? 
We're going to feed them. And we do that. We support the food pantry, even locally and other ministries. We support uh, ministries all around. For instance, next Sunday, we're going to be packing 30-some thousand meals. They're going to end up in Mission of Hope Haiti, teaming up with Convoy of Hope in Haiti. And they're, they're distributing these meals all throughout Haiti. We're going to feed them. But the most important thing we can give them is what? The gospel. It's not either or, it's both and. Let's give them the gospel message. Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose again. That's where the power is. Ooh, say, Scott, I hear you say this all the time. Well, I want to keep saying it until we get it deep down in our heart. It's the gospel. Um, I want to... One who's been amongst us here, uh, Rich Schmucker, I was just talking to him this week, and he was down in, I think it was Costa Rica, and he's being a part of helping uh, uh, build a, co- a construction, a building that's going to um, be a place for those that are caught up in the sex slave industry. The, uh, the, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And, and the statistics that I think that he shared, with, uh, was shared with him last week was 80%, I think it was right at 80% of those who come to Costa Rica to take part and have a part in, in the sexual slave industry um, are men from the United States of America. And, and I just think, what's going to break that? Well, I'll tell you what's really going to break it. And the only thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ for that perverse spirit to be broken. And if any of you have a, uh, you deal with in the area of sexual perversion in your life, let me tell you, it's more than just uh, what you think it may be. It's a sexually perverse spirit that God wants to set you free from. And that's, it's the gospel message that's gonna break that. And for now, what, what, what Rich went to do is he was helping build a building uh, so that those that are caught up in that sex slave industry can be set free and be brought in. And the gospel can be shared with them and healing can be the girls that are actually being enslaved we're gonna do stuff like that church but it's gonna be in the anointing and the power of the gospel going forward you get this the gospel message is christ central the central uh uh, theme of the gospel message has got to be jesus christ uh, you look in the gospel, uh, in the in the in the scriptures, in the in the New Testament in particular. You see, in in Matthew, it's Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. If you study the the theological term uh, that that I, I kept seeing as I was studying this week is is the gospel is Christological. Christological. Christ is, it's all about the logic of God, the, 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 the thought of Christ. The gospel message at the center, at its core, is Jesus Christ. Let's make sure it never changes. There are some things that should never change. Yes, let's help people, but let's help them by giving them the gospel. Because Matthew says it's Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In John, Jesus alone is declared to be the way, the truth, and the what? The life. No one comes to the Father but through him. In in the book of Acts, we read, For there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. It's Jesus. In Romans and Galatians, Jesus is the last Adam, the one to whom the law and the prophets bear witness, the one who by God's own design makes a way for Jews and Gentiles to get to God through salvation. It's through Jesus. And then the book of Revelation, there's only one worthy. There's only one son alone that is worthy to 
to take the scroll from the Father's hand and break open the seals and bring, bring to pass all of God's purposes for blessing and judgment. And that's Christ, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is at the center of the gospel message. That's what God has called us to take, to go make disciples, right? Matthew chapter 28, look on the screen, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go, share the gospel. Make disciples of the gospel. Jesus Christ came. He died. He rose again, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's why last week we brought the guys from IU in. Wasn't that a great service last week? It was a great message. Holy cow, if you missed that message, go back and listen to it again. It was a great message. But we brought those guys from Chi Alpha IU. Why? Because um, they all have skinny jeans and, and spiky hair? No, no, no. I had nothing to do with any of that. One of them didn't even have hair. Um, which I, I can really con- I connect with that. Um, but listen, it was, it, it, it's not about because of the cool factor, though there may be a cool factor. It's about the gospel. What they're doing is they're sharing the gospel message. That's what's penetrating hearts on campuses all over. Did you know uh, that all over the state of Indiana, we have Chi Alphas at Purdue, Ball State. Um, we, have, we have Notre Dame at IUSB here that we support, you support with your missions money. And what are they doing? They're sharing the gospel. Go to the inner city of East St. Louis. Go to the inner city of St. Louis. Go to inner city of Phoenix. Go to inner city of, uh, of uh, soon to be Albuquerque, Denver, New Orleans, Washington, D.C., and several other cities that are on, on, in my head right now. But urban outreach with Jay Cover. He's going to be here in August again. But he's one of our strategic missionaries leading the charge, starting churches in places where the churches have long since pulled out because the gun violence, because of the drugs, because of the horrible yuck condition. He's going with his teams all over the United States, and we are empowering him to take what? To to take the gospel. Oh, they're feeding people. Oh, they're clothing people. But they're taking the gospel. This, this is what, 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 what compels. This is what, this is what pushes us. It's the gospel message getting to the ends of the earth. Let me share one more. I know you know this, and I think in your bulletins this morning, there's actually a half-page insert that includes every missionary that we send money to every single month. You see, we're a part of the Assemblies of God Fellowship, and one of the methods that they set up years ago was not so much one church supporting one missionary and that missionary is fully supported out of one church. What, what we, what we've, what we uh, set up our missions uh, organization with is that if many churches would support one missionary and many missionaries, and so then if something happens and one, one church is like, man, we don't have our missions money to give right now, that missionary doesn't have to come off the field because there's maybe 40, 50 different churches supporting them on a lower level. So almost every missionary you see on that list gets anywhere from 65 to $500 a month. Those 500, that 500 is, is only just a few. Um, but anywhere from 65, 100, 200, 250, 500 a month. And we have a system set up to who gets what, whatever. But, but long story short, get this is that every single month, this money's going out, investing from us, our missions, faith promises, so that what? The gospel can get to the ends of the earth. This is really the what, and I don't wanna talk about the what anymore. I wanna talk about the why. The why. What compels us? What pushes us on? 
What compels us to give like nobody's business so that others can hear the gospel around the world? Let's bring it home. What compels us on a Saturday uh, about lunchtime when you're sitting at Jiffy Lube yesterday, like I was? You weren't there, I was there. If you were there, I would have known, I would have said that, but no, I was there. Sitting in Jiffy Lube, and I'm sitting there playing my favorite video game I'm playing right now on my phone, and, and, uh, um, and I'm thinking, no, I really ought to redeem this time. So I'm, I'm praying, I'm sitting, Lord, how can I, I mean, the, the, it's full of people, and I'm like, God, how can I take, how can I take the conversation here? How can I start a conversation? Then how can I turn that conversation somehow to the gospel? What's compelling you and me to do that? Not just to give so others can go, but to do it ourselves, to share the gospel ourselves. What's compelling us? I'm glad you asked. Because let's take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul shares just real quick, just three thoughts. Now listen, in your notes, there are not any fill-in-the-blanks. This is different. Usually I have fill-in-the-blanks. But you know what? I just want to do something different today. I encourage you, keep those notes out in front of you. Grab a pen and fill up the white space. This morning, what would the Holy Spirit say to you in the midst of this message? What would the Holy Spirit challenge you with that you should circle in those notes? What should you jot in the white space? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Okay, 2 Corinthians. I'm going to get there myself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's just, a reminder, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians was written to what? The church of Corinth. And uh, the Apostle Paul was kind of a leader, uh, not kind of, he was a spiritual father. He started this church, and God was using him as a spiritual apostle father over this church. And there were some people coming up and saying, oh, that Apostle Paul, he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. He thinks he's really somebody. And so the Apostle Paul is writing 2 Corinthians saying, hey, we need to nip it in the butt. We need to deal with these knuckleheads it's the love of Jesus, and, um, and we need to confront this. And in the midst of that, what does he say? There's three things that were compelling him to share the gospel. And the first one we can find in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, I love that, spirit of faith, I want that. We also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us from Jesus, uh, with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And all of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. But look at verse 13. It's written, I believed. So the first, the first thing we see is there's a conviction. He believes. Hey, there's no getting around it. I believe in this. And I believe because, and because I believe, I'm going to say something. Now, the Apostle Paul quotes another scripture. Did you know the subpar says, it is written. Where is it written? Well, look on the screen. It's a psalm. Psalm 116, verse 10. I believe, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. Now, it's hard to pull just this verse out to get the heart of Psalm 116. So this week in your devotions, go back, read this. Psalm 116. Read it. Get it. Um, but it's this spirit of faith where David was saying, I believed, I have a conviction, I know God is going to deliver me. I know God is with me. I know he's not leaving me. I know through every trial, he'll never leave me. He's there with me. But then he goes, but then he says, but I'm greatly afflicted. <laughs> have you ever been there? I mean, you have a strong belief that you know God is, is with you, that God's on the throne. But yet reality is, I'm still not quite sure how this is going to work out. And that's exactly, it's that spirit of faith though. I'm not just gonna get, wallow in my unbelief. I'm not just gonna wallow in my affliction. 
I'm not just gonna say, oh, I don't know, I'm just sick, I've just got this illness, I've got this issue, I got this hurt, I got this, I'm just gonna, my marriage is just stinks and I'm just, let me tell you where you start. You don't start with that, you start with the conviction power of knowing. I believed, I declare, this is, and what do I believe? It's not just because Oprah said it. It's not because I saw a quote on social media. It's because the word of God says it. And I believe this, that's where I'm gonna start. I'm gonna declare the truth of scripture. It's a spirit of faith that's gonna rise up within me when I declare the word of God. And I'm gonna be honest with my situation like David was. I'm a little bit afflicted here. I've still got some people that want to see me dead. I've still got some, I mean, that's where David was at. But what do we do first? We declare, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. There's a conviction in my heart. I believed, oh, you know what? It's kind of like the psalmist David when he said, and that's why he shares this quote, I believe it. What what, What are you experiencing in the area of hardship? Paul says, I believe, therefore I spoke. He rehearsed what he knew to be true. Everything you're facing right now, every hardship, every challenge, let me encourage you, let the spirit of faith rise up in you and refuse to declare first what's happening. But you declare the truth of the word of God. I know that, um, um, uh, for, for instance, in, in James chapter 1, verse 9, a little interesting verse called the Uh, Let me read it. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. He should pride. I thought that was sinful and that was wrong. Here it is. This pride is not an arrogance, but a rejoicing in the fact that contrary to the world's opinion, God's opinion gives them great worth. And so right now you may feel like you're just like a small little ant on the earth. Uh, You're just, who, who even knows I exist? Who even knows what I'm walking through right now? Who even knows my, and you just feel like a nobody. You should take great pride that you are a child of Almighty God, that God knows everything you're walking through every hurt and pain and every time you're butting heads in a situation with some he knows he sees let's declare the truth that i'm a child of god um uh, and i have every spiritual blessing ephesians 1 3 says with every spiritual blessing in christ declare things like this everything that christ has done I, it's mine i'm adopted by my 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 lord i'm one of i'm a child of almighty god i have a wonderful inheritance maybe not so much here on earth but in eternity i've got a mansion i've got i'm i'm going to spend eternity with god i've got an inheritance just go through all of ephesians chapter 1 what it declares the truth about you all of this is ours. You need, you need uh, God to supply for you. Then d- don't just start with where you need him to supply. You, d- you start with the word of God, Philippians 4.19, that he's going to supply. He'll meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You declare what you know. It's this, I, I'm, I understand. I have a conviction. I believe this. I know this is truth. And then, so here's my need. And here's all how this all mixes together. I'm not going to get stressed out and overwhelmed by all my needs. I'm going to stand in faith and let that spirit of faith rise up inside of me. What I know the Word of God says, and that's where I'm going to be led. I'm going to ask God, renew my mind so that all this stuff, that all this reality, it's not that it does, isn't still happening, but I'm, the way I'm focusing on it is underneath the truth of Scripture. Do you get what I'm saying today? This is the conviction. Well, Scott, that's kind of good for my life, but 
Um, we're talking about sharing the gospel. What's that got to do? But one of the compelling factors that the Apostle Paul had to share about uh, the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. That one, sharing the gospel, one of the compelling factors looks to be just this conviction that he was so, so sure that he was sure that this was the truth that he couldn't help but to share it. Question, what about you? I mean, are you, are you that settled? Do you know that's where God wants you to be? And you can be? Are you that settled in the truth of the gospel in the, in the Christian message that uh, uh, Romans 30, uh, 8 verse 37 would be a great fit? No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, we will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have that conviction? Let me tell you, before you leave today, God wants to give you that conviction so you can share the gospel out of conviction. Second one is this, it's in your notes. It's fear. Fear? I thought fear was a bad thing, Pastor. What kind of church is this? Look with me, chapter five, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to Fear the Lord. Ah. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Let's just stop right there. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. This is motiving, motivating us to what? To try to persuade men and women, others, to hear the what? The gospel. One of the motivating factors is this fear of God. Is this fear of the Lord. Hebrews 10, 31, it's a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, uh, acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is wanting to consume us like a fire. God is a consuming fire. Jude chapter 1, verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Is there a fear of God in you? The next time I'm tempted to sin or think something I shouldn't think or do something I shouldn't do, oh, that the fear of God would just rise up in me and say, uh-uh. In fact, it wouldn't just keep me from sinning, but it would compel me. It would push me to share the gospel with others. Is there a fear of God? A fear of eternity? I mean, have, is there a, a, a healthy fear of God? I don't um, propose to agree with everything John Piper, pastor John Piper says. But as I was studying this this week, I found about a two-minute clip of John Piper sharing on the fear of God in a way that only John Piper could share on the fear of God. Can you watch this with me? Just a, about two minutes long. Watch this. You, do I tremble? And the, the next time you're laying there on a Saturday night and maybe the conversation, are we going to church tomorrow morning? Oh, that the fear of God would grip our next time you're, you have an opportunity to do something and you know it's sinful, you know you shouldn't, it's, you know, you know it's, it's going to push you in the, uh, 
is there, is there the next time even a simple decision of 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 um, uh, whether we're going to put God first in our time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, or treasure. Are we going to put God first in this stuff, or are we going to let community win? Are we going to let family win, others win? Or are we going to put God first? And you let anything else take that spot that God should be in. It's the fear of God setting in. And beyond that then, does that holy, reverent, awestruck, tremble at his feet, fear of God, drive me to the thought of one day standing before him at the judgment seat of Christ, and he says, oh, Scott, well done, good and faithful servant. Or what if you could have sacrificed a little bit more? What if you could have given a little more so that, that the nations could have been reached in a different way? What if you would have been a little bit, I mean, you were there thumbing away at the Jiffy Lube. Scott, do you, let's go to the Blu-ray of this guy. Do you remember this day and you're thumbing away at the video game and you're just, boy, you're getting into the new life. I mean, that's a weird thing that I do, but you're thumbing away. When there's a whole room of people that might very well need the gospel, and you're just sitting there thumbing away. Scott, could have there been a better use of your time? You see, when we reach the judgment seat of Christ, it's in the Bible, it's not going to be whether we're going to be uh, allowed into the, uh, heaven or not or eternity with Christ or not. That's already been taken care of through the blood of Jesus. But there will be an accounting called the judgment seat of Christ for everything that we've done here on earth. And um, it's not are you saved or not. It's what have you done with what God's given you? And one day, does the fear of God drive me then to say, I've got to do something to share the love of Christ with a community that at its best is simply religious? They know about Christ. They know about God, but do they really know the freedom they can find through Jesus Christ, his son? So we see the second thing is the fear of God. The third and the final thing is this, is the love of Christ. This might be the most popular one. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I was building my whole message around this one, the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. But then I had to back up because I saw these others. What was compelling the apostle Paul? What ought to be compelling us? You and I. What ought to be compelling us to share the gospel? Well, we see the, uh, the conviction of knowing this is the truth. We see the fear of God, and then we see the love of God. Look at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. That's the gospel message. Jesus Christ came, he, he lived, he died, and he rose again. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, for him, for, but for him who died for them and was raised again. How interesting that the apostle Paul was the one sharing this. Because there was a time in his life, if you remember your biblical history, true history, there was a time when he lived um, to, not, not for, for Jesus. It wasn't the love of Jesus that was compelling him. In fact, let's just take a look as he mentions in Philippians chapter 3. Can I remind you, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this to the Church of Corinth, he had a, 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 a shady past. He, in his past, he had even been a part of the murders of, of other Christians. He had, he had come up against 
other true believers, and he had quite a conversion experience that you can read about in the book of Acts where he received the love of Jesus. But before that, he was a radical religious zealot. In Philippians it says, For anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He was like, I, I got, uh, this is what I did. I was circumcised on the eighth day, a Jew of Jews, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for the legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. But whatever was to my profit, these are my notes in the parentheses, this is not inspired. But all of his motivating, compelling reasons were built around his own prophet. The Apostle Paul was doing this so that he could look good amongst his other fellow zealots. I now consider loss for what? For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them trash, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from keeping the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, his years as a Pharisee taught him what it was to serve God from a hundred different motives, but they really all came down to self. And Paul knew what it was like to reach out to others from a different motive. But he said, now I'm, I'm motivated by the love of Christ. What about you? What about me? Are we motivated to live our faith out and to share it with others because we've been so touched by the love of Christ. Do you know the love of Christ? I'm not asking, did you grow up in church? I've grown up in church my whole life, and sometimes it's hard for us to really grasp what it's like for someone who this is all new to. But can I talk to you? You've been in church your whole life. Can I encourage you as well? When's the last time you really had a fresh revelation vision of the love of Christ? And allowed that to compel you. First John 4, 16 says, And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. We rely on the love God has for us. Because God is love. First Corinthians 13. First, no, this isn't a wedding. But can I read this? And can you read it as if it wasn't a funeral or a wedding? Or somewhere that, where we, a little plaque on your wall. Hanging up in your bathroom perhaps. Why your bathroom? I don't know. But love is patient. Love is kind. That's what love is. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is what ought to be motivating us, right? It's compelling us. Compelled. This is what's compelling us to take time to share and make disciples. It's this kind of love that ought to compel us, push us on. Let your compulsion change today. No matter where you're at today, can you put your heart in the place today where you can say, man, I'm compelled to share the love of Christ, to give like I've never given, and to go like I've never gone because the love of Christ has so touched my life. Let me give you, oh, that one's going. 
Sorry about that, guys. We just lost a poster over there. And now, um, focus here. What can I sink my teeth into? Help me here, Scott. Well, let me just give you something practical. Because, you know, this whole month we're focusing on not just here, but around the world, taking the gospel message to the, to the ends of the earth. But beyond that, um, what about right here, right now, this week? What are some things I can do? Let me share just real quickly from a message. I've actually preached this message myself several times. I heard this message over 20 years ago from Pastor Lee Strobel. He wrote some great books called the, uh, the fa- uh, uh, yeah, uh, great book, they're great books, The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for a lot of different things. If you've never read, especially The Case for Christ, really encourage you to read that great book, Apologetics of Why We Believe What We Believe. But he, he preached a message said, if Jesus lived in my house, I believe four things would be true. Let's fly through these. Number one, if Jesus lived in my house, before Jesus talked to his lost neighbor about their heavenly father, I think he would talk to his heavenly father about his lost neighbor. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God that, that God would minister to our neighbors. In fact, I want you to take this. You're going to discuss this in your life group if you meet tonight or this week. I want you to take this another step further. If you live in a housing addition or on a street, as soon as you get on your street, just start praying over the houses. You say, I don't even know who lives there. That's fine. Just keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Pray over them. Pray over them. Pray over them. Say, Lord, give them a tender heart towards the gospel. Show them how much they need Christ. And use me or use someone else to share the love of Christ with them. Let's put feet to what we're talking about. As you walk into work and as you walk past the offices, I'm not saying you've got to stand there, anoint them with oil and lay hands on them. Uh, Lord, I anoint these <laughs> doors with the name of Jesus. No, uh, if, if, if you feel so led to do it. But I'm not saying you've got to make a big scene is what I'm saying. But just gently just say, Lord, show them their need for Christ and help me, use me to touch them with the gospel. Use someone. I think Jesus would pray for lost people. Second thing is this. Um, in fact, just think about this. Up until his death, Jesus prayed for lost people, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I mean, Jesus was always praying for lost people. Let's do it. Second thing is this. Jesus would let his neighbors know that his door would always be open for questions. Once again, I've got a real simple faith. I've grown up around this. Man, it's really easy because I've seen the gospel work. Listen, I've seen the gospel work in too many lives for me to question whether this will really work or not, whether this is really truth or not. I've been around this my whole life. But when someone hasn't, and when the gospel's all new to them, and Jesus Christ can really set me free of the porn addiction, Jesus Christ can really set me free from, from uh, uh, the issues I'm having in my marriage, he can bring healing to that. That Jesus Christ went to the cross, rose again, so that I could have the wisdom I need to live a godly life. Yeah, that's all new. And so when they have questions, let's be patient. And let, let your neighbors know that don't know Christ, people that, that don't know Christ, and you're like, let them know, hey, any question, bring it. If I don't have an answer, I'll try to figure it out for you, and we'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. I think about John the Baptist every time. I mean, you might remember John the Baptist, um, when uh, Jesus was walking along in the early days, he said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John the Baptist who what? Baptized Jesus. And when he was baptizing Jesus, remember what happened? Uh, in the form of a, uh, what looked like a dove, the Spirit came down, the heaven uh, parted, and, and there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. 
This was John the Baptist who had lived at the same time as Jesus and is, is spending time in seeing and hearing the reports of what Jesus did in his ministry. But then John the Baptist gets jailed and the pressure's on and he, he's in prison. And what does John the Baptist do? The dude who just lived through everything I just said. John sent some of his friends and said, hey, will you go to Jesus? I just want to make sure and ask him, is he the one? I mean, you can read about this in the Gospels. John the Baptist starts questioning. He's like, I thought he was the one, but let's go and make sure. And what does Jesus do when they come? Does Jesus say, okay, listen here, buddy. I want you to go back to that JB and say, JB, listen. I am the one. Are you, you knucklehead? I can't believe you're asking. I, don't you remember the heavens parted and the voice from heaven said, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. Do you not understand? I can't, where's your brain? Is it turned to mush? What's going on? Are you drinking the juice? Are you, I mean, what's going on? No. Jesus said, okay, go back to him and, and just share. This is what's happening. And yeah, I admit, with compassion, with love. When someone brings a question to you, uh, the first thing isn't, and it, when, even when they push you and they're antagonistic on your faith, the first thing is not to get all antagonistic back to them. It's to let's talk about this. You got a question, let's discuss it. Let's keep going. No, the third thing is this. If Jesus lived in my house, I, I think he wouldn't just share his faith, faith, but he would show his faith. It's both and. It's not either or. Jesus came, Matthew chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man, Jesus came not to be, there it was, uh, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Just stay focused up here. Jesus came to be served, not to be served, but to serve. He came to, to give his life for many. And the same way, God has called us to be servants. You know, uh, uh, humble acts of servanthood crack open the hardest of hearts. And let's be prepared, not just to serve, but to share the gospel message, both ends. Fourth thing is this. If Jesus lived in my house, I think there would be a consistency between his beliefs and his behavior. He wouldn't be one person at his house and another person on Sunday morning. He wouldn't talk one way on Sunday morning and a different way on Wednesday morning when the pressure's on in the midst of work. No, he'd live the same way. Think about that. So what would you say compels you to share the gospel? What compels you to give so others can hear? Is it guilt? Is it pressure from the pastor? Worship team, would you come? Is it pressure from the pastor? You're like, well, I, I know Pastor Scott says I need to be doing this, so I better do this. Or is it what, what Acts chapter 2, where we were in the, kind of the all-in idea, the all-in vision, the all-in? You remember Acts chapter 2? In the very last verse of Acts chapter 2 says, and the Lord added what? Daily to their number. There are people getting saved every day. But you read Acts chapter 2 and you know what it feels like? That was just like an overflow of what God was already doing. You had people who were what? Committed. They were committed to the apostles' doctrine, the gospel, teaching, word of God. They were committed to prayer, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. 
Everything that the, uh, the gospel uh, is, it encapsulates in the breaking of bread, Jesus was at the center, the focus, all of that. And when they got all that in the right order and they were living that way, oh, and by the way, verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, the Lord added to their number daily. It just seems like it was a natural outflow. It was an overflow of what God was doing in their lives, right? You get that? Can that be said of me? Can that be said of you? Long before we commit, which we will, but long before we commit with faith promises for missions, to give so that others can hear around the, God, uh, around the world. I just felt today, we need to take time right here, right now, and search our own hearts. And as we take this month and talk about this, let's make sure that our heart is tenderized to share the gospel with others. Let's let the conviction power of the word of God compel us to go. Let's let the fear of God compel us to go. Let's let the love of Christ that hopefully has touched all of us in such a way. Some of you years ago when you first encountered the love of Christ, but let's let that come alive in us and drive us to share the gospel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the challenge of your word. And the Apostle Paul, my goodness, what, what an amazing man of God and how you used him so powerfully and so clearly. And God, we want you to use us here in this community, in this region, in this area. We want you to use us to share the gospel message, both with actions and words. And today, God, as we focus on that, we know that our hearts have to be in the right position. So God, I just pray all over this room right now, would you give us greater convicting power, like conviction that the Word of God is truth, and God, that that would begin to compel us? Would you give us a greater fear of God in our lives, a healthy, holy, awe, fear of God? And would you visit us once again and help us to grasp the love of God and how the Bible says God is love, that you are love. And God, that that would be one of the compelling, motivating factors for all of us to share the gospel. And God, could it be that this whole church, every family, every individual's lives could be lived out in such a way that matches Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47 where we're committed to prayer, to the word of God, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the cross and Jesus is central. And because we're, we're committed to all of that, that just a natural outflow, a natural overflow would be people are going to find Jesus because we can't help but to talk about it. God, let that rise up in our hearts.